coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and today on the show, I am joined by my co-host, Charlie. And Charlie, I hope you enjoyed your first weekend of Georgia football. I know it's kind of different for you to not actually be at the game, even though it was all the way in Arkansas, but I know circumstances kind of conspired to keep you from that. But I hope you found a way to enjoy it. But look, I've got to ask you the same question that Curtis and I have been answering all week. It's not fair that we've had to answer this question and you've been MIA and haven't had to answer it at all. So have your expectations changed after what you saw Saturday? Because a lot of people seem to be changing their expectations for this team already after just one game. And maybe that's fair, but you predicted this team to go 10-0 and win the SEC title at the end of the year. So are you sticking by that or are you jumping off the bandwagon after one week? I think maybe eight and two, nine and one. Quarterback was questionable. We've got to improve there. Also, offensive line, got to get stronger there. But our defense is there, so uh, you know, I like to be optimistic. So I'd like to still say ten and zero. Well, I mean, optimism is one thing, and, and I can respect that. But we've got to be not realism, right? Well, we got to be realistic based on what we saw. But I mean, did you feel better once Stetson Bennett was inserted in the lineup? I know you were really rooting for Dewan. I think we all were. So I know that had to hurt your heart a little bit, but did you think Stetson came in and kind of stabilized things? Did that kind of give you a little bit more confidence moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so you're sticking by 10-0. Are you sticking by 10-0 officially? Sure, why not? Sure, why not? Okay, we'll go with it. Charlie, I, I wish I had your optimism. I'm, I mean, that's possible, but I'm still sticking with my 9-1. Maybe 8-2 is more realistic right now, as we mentioned earlier in the week. But I hope you enjoyed your first weekend in Georgia football. We've got a couple more, actually a lot more, hopefully, coming up over the next couple of months. But we have to preview the Auburn Tigers, our week two matchup, the Deep South's oldest rivalry that for the first time in a long time is being played in a month other than November. This should be our first real test of the season, although that first half, at least the first quarter of that Arkansas game might have had you fooled. But this will certainly be our first real big test of the 2020 season. It does not get any easier after this, guys. This Auburn game is going to kick off a stretch of games, about five games in a row. you got Auburn, Tennessee at home. Then we go to Bama. We know where we go week four. Come home, Actually, we go to Lexington after Alabama for a game that I think ended up being a trap game against the Kentucky Wildcats. And then we get a bye week heading into Jacksonville. So this kind of kicks off this brutal stretch for us. We have no time to let people learn on the job. There's no time for that. that. That's a luxury that we just don't have this year. So it's time to break down the Auburn, as Charlie likes to say, the Auburn Tiger, War Eagle, Plainsman, whatever you want to call them. But Charlie is here to guide me through this breakdown. So Charlie, what do you got for me? All right. Well, after what we saw last week against Arkansas, a lot of people are surprised that we opened as an eight-point favorite in this game. And now it's down to six and a half. So are you surprised by that? And what did you make of the fact that we're a one touchdown favorite in this game, despite some of the issues we had last week versus Arkansas? You know, I get why people on the surface might have been surprised that, yeah, okay, Georgia really struggled in the first half offensively, not so much defensively. 
But certainly offensively, we had our struggles, especially the quarterback position. The offensive line was a major issue as well, in my opinion. In fact, I think the offensive line might have been a bigger issue than quarterback, to be honest. As we mentioned earlier in the week, there were some plays to be made down the field that we had dialed up, but we could not make those plays. We had no opportunity to make them because the offensive line simply could not protect DeWan Mathis long enough for him to be able to get the ball out and make those plays. So I, I get why people might have been frustrated with what they saw and maybe overreact a little bit. And I don't want to say overreact because I don't want to dismiss anyone's thoughts. I feel like when you say, hey, you're overreacting, you're being very dismissive of how they feel about the team. I don't want to dismiss anyone's emotions, anyone's feelings, because those are very legitimate. But I'm not necessarily surprised. And it had not so much to do with us, although the, obviously our defense certainly gives me some confidence. I saw some things offensively that I do think we can build on. Now, we've got to get better in a hurry, but I saw some things I liked. I really like the playmakers we have at the skill positions right now. Offensive line, obviously, got to get fixed. we got to have some clarity at the quarterback position. But if you look at Auburn, look at the other side of this picture. Like, we're not playing in, in a vacuum here. We're playing another team. And that team, Auburn, yeah, they won. They beat Kentucky. I think it was 29-13. But if you didn't watch that game, that final score is somewhat misleading because Auburn got outrushed, outpassed, had fewer first downs, converted fewer third downs, and of course, if you're outpassed and outrushed, you're going to be outgained overall by Kentucky. Kentucky won that game every way possible except for up on the scoreboard where ultimately it matters. What happened was that Kentucky turned the ball over three times, including one from the half-yard line. There's also a horrifically bad no-touchdown call where running back Chris Rodriguez, I mean, his entire upper body, his entire torso was laying over the goal line, clearly a touchdown, but they reviewed it and they still somehow said it wasn't a touchdown. One of the worst calls I've seen in a while. I mean, it was blatantly obvious. And then I think maybe that was on first down, maybe and then a couple plays later, Terry Wilson throws an interception from the half-yard line and Auburn Bay actually returned it for a touchdown, but there was, a, I believe there's a targeting call against a, a, a guy who was blocking a defenseless player. He's doing one of those blindside blocks. So they got called back, but still you, you turned the ball over on the half yard line. That changed the game. That was right before halftime. So they were aided by a really terrible call and three turnovers. And, and look, no, it was not a great look for us offensively in the first half. I'm not here to say that it was. I get why people might be scared off of this line. But our defense is still great. We know that. And I do think that what we saw offensively was an incomplete picture because we did not have all of our weapons to work with. We didn't have JT Daniels available. And look, apparently he's, he's going to be cleared. That's the word. Kirby Smart himself said that. But again, how healthy is he going to be? Is he going to be ready to actually step in and take snaps? I, I don't know the answer to that. But it was certainly an incomplete picture. I don't think that's necessarily what we're going to look like offensively the rest of the way. So I think eight points, I mean, that, that might have been a tad aggressive. I think six and a half is, is very fair. I think right around a touchdown, that sounds about right to me. And really, that's just more about me not knowing how good this Auburn team is. I really, I'm just not a believer yet. And look, I, I'm not saying that, that we are a world beater yet. We've got some things to fix. And if you have questions about where we are right now, I think those are legitimate. But I just, I'm not a believer in this Auburn team at this point in the season. All right. Well, as you mentioned, Auburn was outrushed, outpassed, had fewer first downs. It was outgained overall against Kentucky, but Auburn still won. So what is your biggest concern about this Auburn team? What do you find most frightening for the dogs this weekend? You know, I, that's a tough question because and I know this sounds ridiculous. When you hear the name Auburn, you, 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 there's a certain level of respect that, that typically carries. I'm not saying that they're seen as like they're Alabama. But typically, people expect them to be pretty good at football. That's kind of what Auburn, well, they try to do that. I don't know if they do it each and every year. They're very inconsistent. They're up and down. But that's the expectation 
among the fan base. And I think most people every year expect them to be pretty good because they're always ranked high in the preseason, in the top 15 somewhere. And they, right now, they're inside the top 10. Now, I know there's not as many teams playing right now, so maybe their, their rating is a little inflated at the moment. But look, I don't think this Auburn's, this Auburn team is a top 10 team. So trying to find something that really I'm scared of, I, I don't know. Here's what I would say. I, and I'm not so sure this is so much a traditional concern, something that scares me as it's something that I'm just... I'm watching closely. Like, I, I'm moderately concerned about it. Uh, but look, we can call it a concern. We'll call it a concern. And, and here's what it is. Like Kirby, for a while now, has had the Gus Malzahn offense figured out. I think most people have. I mean, the Malzahn offense hasn't been cutting edge since the days of Cam Newton. It just ha- hasn't. It's been about a decade. You know, it, with the one lone exception of that regular season loss at Jordan-Hare in 2017, which was a bad look, but that was more about us just playing terrible in that game. We played about as poorly as we possibly could. That was the worst game I'd seen us play, I don't want to say in the Kirby Smart tenure, but certainly that year, obviously. We just played so poorly in that game. But to their credit, they put up 40 points in that game, but we'll call that the exception. If you take that game out of the equation, since Kirby Smart has taken over this Georgia program back in 2016, outside of that one loss at Jordan-Hare in 2017, we've played Auburn four other times. They've scored seven points, seven points, 10 points, and 14 points last year. If you average that out, guys, that's nine and a half points a game in four of the five games that we have played them with Kirby Smart as our head coach. And in those four games, they've only averaged 256 yards a game. There's nothing that Gus Malzahn does offensively when he's calling plays that Kirby is not already fully aware of. And there's nothing that Malzahn can do that's, that's going to take Kirby by surprise. He really, I haven't seen it, not since he's taken over the job here at Georgia. And there's just nothing that Kirby doesn't already have a plan to counteract. Like he, he, he has a bead on that Gus Malzahn offense. But with Gus handing play calling over, it's a different offense. The familiarity is not quite there. And look, I, I think that what they have is a good offense. I think they're good offensively. I don't know if they're, they're not great. I don't, I'm not even gonna say I, I don't know if they're elite. They're not an elite offense. They're good. I'll give them that. They're good. They have some playmakers in spots, especially at the wide receiver position. Seth Williams, Anthony Schwartz, those guys can play. Eli Stove's a tricky little guy. Sean Shivers at running back's a guy that, that I think can be really explosive. And he's a guy to watch out for at the running back position. I think right now he's their best running back. I don't know if they think that, but I certainly think that right now for them, even though he's a, he's a smallish dude. But it's a good offense, but it's not the kind of offense that's going to give a Kirby Smart defense, at least not this Georgia defense, or even last year's Georgia defense, as we saw last year, a bunch of issues. But here's where I, I'm maybe slightly concerned. I'm just not sure we're going to be as well prepared for this Auburn offense and this Auburn scheme as we would have been if Gus Malzahn was still calling place. And this was a traditional... Gus Malzahn scheme. And, and that can make a difference when you have an offense that struggled through parts of the first game. When we have an offense that struggled at times through that first game, we're going to have to rely on, rely on our defense right now to keep us in games and keep the scoring down so that until we can really kind of find our footing and find our identity offensively. And when you're going against an offensive scheme with Chad Morris at the helm now calling the plays as the offensive coordinator that maybe Kirby's not as familiar with, I think that throws some intrigue into the equation, and I think that's maybe a little bit of cause for concern here, because again, I think Kirby versus Gus Malzahn, Kirby's defense versus Gus's offenses, that's a no contest. We've seen that story. Again, nine and a half points, 256 yards a game. Kirby versus Chad Morris, now that remains to be seen. There are some similarities between the Chad Morris offense and the Gus Malzahn offense, but they are also some serious differences as well. So I guess if there's anything that I'm concerned about, I, I would go just the matchup there with Chad Morris. We just we haven't really seen this with Kirby Smart before. 
All right. So Malzahn has apparently given up play calling for good and hired Chad Morris, the former Arkansas head coach, to take over that role. So how does his offense differ from Gus Malzahn's? Yeah, I was getting ready to allude to that, but I figured you might ask me this question because I know we, we talked about kind of what we might talk about on the show before the show. So I figured this was coming, so I wanted to save it. But when you're looking at the Gus Malzahn offense versus the Chad Morris offense, there are some similarities. They come from the same coaching tree. So just a quick little history lesson here. I think it was Stevensonville High School, Stevensville High School in Texas that Art Bryles was the head coach of, kind of built them into a power. And then Chad Morris comes and takes that job once Bryles goes to Baylor, once he goes to the college level. And what Chad Morris did once he got that job is he goes and he visits with with Gus Malzahn, who is a coach at Arkansas at that time in not at Arkansas, but in the state of Arkansas as a high school coach, and he kind of he, he took some ideas from Gus Malzahn. He kind of incorporated those into his offense, and then he goes on this tear as a, as the head coach, calling the plays for his Texas high school football team, and that kind of he parlays that into eventually the head, the well, eventually the head coaching job at Arkansas, but first the offensive coordinator job at Clemson, then the head coaching job at SMU, then he goes to Arkansas, and then it didn't work out so well, and now here he is at Auburn. So they, their paths have crossed before back when both those guys were in high school. So Gus Malzahn's offensive scheme it has influenced the Chad Morris scheme. But while there are some similarities, they are certainly not carbon copies of one another. Chad Morris's scheme is its own thing. Yes, it has elements of what Gus has done traditionally, but he also has incorporated his own ideas and ideas from other places around the country. So when you look at the Chad Morris scheme in the run game, so let's kind of compare the Malzahn scheme versus the, Moore, the Chad Morris scheme in the run game. Malzahn, rely, his scheme relies heavily on gap scheme plays, and that's kind of like more man blocking stuff. You got pulling guards, power, counter, that kind of stuff. Chad Morris, on the other hand, while he will certainly incorporate some gap scheme stuff and some power run attack, but more than anything, like his base is a zone scheme. It's more in line with most modern spreads. He's more zone heavy in the run game than he is gap scheme heavy like Gus Malazan was. And if you look at the personnel, typically a Chad Morris office is going to base out of 20 personnel. When I say 20 personnel, that's two running backs, no tight ends, three wide receivers. But the two running backs aren't typically two tailbacks. You're going to have a tailback and you're going to have uh, pretty much an H-back. They call that a stacked backfield. And, and that stacked backfield allows them to incorporate some of those power principles into their principal zone zone run scheme. And they'll, they'll throw a good amount of 10 personnel at you as well. We have one running back and they replace that stacked backfield, that H-back with another receiver. So you got four wides, no tights. And one similarity between the two is that just like Gus Malzahn, Chad Morris's offense uses a lot of motion, and the purpose of that is to, more than anything, try to get defenders out of position, get them out leveraged. A lot of it is eye candy. A lot of it is window dressing, just like the Gus Malzahn scheme. That's one of the ways that Malzahn has influenced Chad Morris's offense. But if you watch Morris's offenses closely, I think there are some keys you can pick up on. When you see motion come from opposite the running back, like jet sweep motion that comes opposite the running back, typically there's a good chance they're going to hand that ball off. If it comes opposite the running back, that running back can serve as the re, as the lead blocker. If you see the jet motion coming from the running back side, from the same side that the running back is aligned to, that is probably just window dressing. And that's not necessarily unique to the Chad Morris scheme, but that, that's something you see with a lot of spread schemes. 
But that's something that certainly you, you can watch for when you're watching this Chad Morris scheme because they usually utilize a lot of jet motion. And just watch that. Just watch that closely on Saturday. And he has incorporated traditionally a lot of quarterback run game, even going back to Clemson when he had Deshaun Watson. And that is a similarity, another similarity, another way that Gus Malzahn's scheme offensively has influenced Chad Morris's scheme. His, he can, he's had plenty of offenses where he does not have a mobile quarterback. But just like Gus Malzahn's scheme, it re- his offense really starts to hum when you have a dynamic runner. With all those motions, all those split flows, it makes things very confusing for the defense for that front seven. And I really, honestly, I expect them in this game to try to incorporate a lot more quarterback run than what we saw maybe from them in week one with Bo Nix to kind of just jumpstart their run game. Because their run game right now, I think they've got problems. Like we had problems with our run game in week one. Auburn has got some issues right now too. And that, that dates back to last year. Their offensive line is still not very good. They don't have a feature running back right now. So I fully expect them to, to try to jumpstart that run game because they cannot be one-dimensional against us. They know that. So they're going to have to find a way to run the ball to some degree. And I think the best way for them to do that might be to start incorporating a little bit more quarterback run game. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see... Bo Nix be more of a ball carrier than he was against Kentucky than he was at times last year. And so if it, when they utilize the quarterback run game, what does Chad Morris like to do with the quarterback? There's a couple of things that he's really kind of leaned on in the past. And again, this is the new year, new offense, but in the past, that's all we had to go off of right now. He really loves to use kind of like the, the shotgun power toss. And then he packages that with what I call the sucker counter off of that. And the sucker counter, you guys have seen this, right? It's where you fake the toss out of shotgun. And then you have like the pulling guard, pulling tackle, and the quarterback just follows them. And it's kind of like a, a count, a power counter off of the, the fake power toss there. It kind of packages those together. He runs a lot of jet sweep stuff, as I mentioned. And he can run the jet power read off of that with the quarterback. Kind of just reading that, that, that front side defensive in there. If, if the guy flows with the receiver that's doing the jet sweep motion, then the quarterback will pull it and he'll run. If he sticks with the quarterback, then he'll hand it off to the guy coming in jet motion. And they're also going to work in a fair amount of RPOs. That's something that that Chad Morris has incorporated over the past couple of years. And I think that you're going to see them run out quite a bit against us on Saturday as well, because that's something that Bo Nix is comfortable with as well. And it, one big difference between the offenses, though, of Morris and Malzahn is that I, I'll give Morris credit here. He certainly makes greater use of the route tree. Malzahn, it's almost like run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. Then we're going to try to hit you vertically down the field off play action. We're just going to run a nine route, a go route straight down the field. We'll run some screens as well. But that's about the, the gist of it. That's about all they did. That's about the extent of it for, for Gus Malzahn's offenses. But Chad Morris, his route tree is far more varied than what you saw from Gus Malzahn. Yeah, he, he might send three guys deep and he'll run a deep crosser underneath that. There's a lot of different things that they'll do. There's different route combinations that he'll run that Malzahn never really did. So there are a lot of similarities between what Malzahn has done traditionally offensively in this Chad Morris system, but there also are some important differences as well. And that's why Gus Malzahn brought somebody different in. And Charlie, I know you've got a lot more to ask me the rest of the way on the show today, but real quickly, I do want to take a minute or two to remind everyone about my bookie. Last week was certainly full of crazy upsets. But after three weeks of Power 5 football and now a full week of SEC football under our belts, hopefully everyone has a little bit of a better feel for who's good, who's not, and who to put your money on. Because now that the entire world of sports has restarted, it is winning season at MyBookie. And winning season means doubling your first deposit at MyBookie. Winning season means watching live sports, betting on live sports, 
College football is in full swing. The NFL is back. The Braves just won their first playoff game. Man, the Braves do not have great postseason history the last decade plus, but even they are getting in on the action right now. The Falcons, eh, not so much. But hey, even though the Falcons have gotten off to a horrible start, that doesn't mean you can't make some money betting against them, right? So the sports world is back, and it's time for you to get in on the action by using promo code OVERTIME at MyBookie and doubling your first deposit. And if you are a brand new user, you get up to $1,000 in free play. So bet with the best this football season for your chance to win big. Again, just use promo code OVERTIME and double your first deposit. It's really tough to beat that offer, guys. And your winning season begins today only at MyBookie. All right. So you mentioned the passing game and some of the wide receivers they have. You also talked about this new offensive system, but they aren't doing anything without the wonderful, the fabulous Bo Nix. Bo Nix, and he's an interesting case study. The you know Auburn faithful swear he is among the elite quarterbacks in America, but I'm not so sure. And they really believe that, don't they? Yeah, and I, I don't think I agree. Um, last season it was make one read and then take off if the play wasn't there. I guess this is a wait-and-see game then, since we've only really seen him one game this year. So, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. So, you really like you. You were not on him last year at all. No. Like he was in all this hype, and you every game you watched him, you're just like, I don't see it. I just don't I feel see like it. He was like he's like Justin Fields. Justin Fields would just you know make one read and take off. Of well, in, in, in Athens, his first year, and, yes. and they were both true freshmen. I think were, I think that was a similarity right, between I mean, the two. Wait and see. He might be totally different by the end of this season, but right now, meh. You didn't see anything in week. Did you watch the Kentucky Auburn game? I know you were excited yes. about that one. Did yes, you see anything different from him? Not really. Yeah, I didn't either. I I, I saw. A guy that, I know it's a new system, so he's trying to get comfortable in the system, but I kind of saw a lot of the same things I saw from him as a true freshman. Not to say he can't grow, and not to say that he won't throw for 400 yards against us on Saturday, but I, I saw a lot of the same things. I'm with you. So what's your take on him? Is he a championship caliber quarterback? I'm, I'm still not buying the Bo Nix hype. I, 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 I'm not saying he can't get there, but I, I certainly don't think he's there yet. I'm not convinced that he is at all. And he, look, it, it, all we have to work on is what he was as a freshman and what he, what he did against Kentucky. And I watched every snap of that Kentucky game. Actually, I've watched it three times now, getting ready for this for this game and for this show. But he was really inconsistent as a true freshman, and I thought he was really inconsistent in week one against Kentucky. I mean, you look back to what he did as a freshman, 57% completion percentage, a little over 2,500 yards passing, only 6.7 yards per attempt, 16 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. What is kind of a flashing red red light for me is when you have low completion percentage numbers and low yards per pass, yards per attempt. Because typically, like if you're throwing the ball down the field and you have these these really high yards per attempt numbers, your completion percentage might be a little lower because you're actually taking more vertical shots. Those are lower percentage throws. Typically, when you see guys with lower yards per attempt averages, it's because they're throwing more shorter routes, screens, intermediate stuff, and they're just easier, more high percentage throws. So there's, there's kind of an inverse relationship there. But when you have a low completion percentage number and low yards per attempt, like that is a flashing red light for me. And that's what Bo Nix was last year. And if you look at his overall grade from Pro Football Focus as a true freshman, 63.1 overall, 64.4 as a passer. There are only three games on the year last year where he went over, where he was graded at over 80, according to Pro Football Focus. That was against Kent State. Arkansas, and Mississippi State. Not exactly stellar defense that he was facing. He was really bad against the best defenses that he faced. 
Now, he is a really good athlete. I will give the dude that. The guy can move. He's a good athlete. He has the ability to hurt teams with his legs. He did run for a touchdown against us last year. I think he was one of only two players to run for a touchdown against us. But that's all well and good. And that's important. Quarterbacks need to be mobile these days. They really do. But they also need to be accurate. And they also need to be able to make good decisions. And I have serious questions about his accuracy and his decision-making. I think he's still very inconsistent in both areas. And I'll say this in his defense. I think playing in Gus Malzahn's clown version of an offense last year, I think that really stunted his growth because Malzahn really just does not develop quarterbacks. I, I obviously, I know Cam Newton is the exception, but Cam Newton is just a physical freak. And Cam Newton had to learn to play the quarterback position once he got to the NFL because he was doing just ridiculously foreign things at college compared to what, or in college, compared to what he would end up doing at the NFL level. But with, with Bo Nix, when I watched this guy play, and I was screaming at the TV watching it live on Saturday, it's all about his mechanics. His mechanics are just flat out terrible, guys. And this is what I'm talking about where Gus Malzahn's system, I think, stunted his growth last year. If he had a really good offensive coordinator and he had a really good quarterback coach last year, I think they could have fixed some flaws in his game. But those flaws didn't get fixed. In fact, they might have gotten more ingrained, if anything. But he is a good-looking athlete, has a solid arm. He's just a mess from a mechanic standpoint. He throws off balance. He's leaning back at times when there isn't any pressure at all. He has a clean pocket, and he's just leaning back to make a throw instead of stepping into the throw. He's leaning one way or the other, and the result is the ball is going to sail on him, or he misses wide. He misses inside. He's just not putting the ball on the money. And when he's pressured, it is abysmal. But we're going to go into more detail with that when we talk about our defensive game plan a little bit later. But here's the last thing I'll say about Bo Nix. I think this is all that needs to be said. Look, and I love Stetson Bennett, but for all the people hating on us and what our offense can be, because Stetson, because Stetson Bennett might be our starter. I mean, this guy's a former walk-on. He's five foot nothing. He's a nobody, right? Well, you know what? Stetson Bennett outgraded Bo Nix last week in week one, according to Pro Football Focus. Nix had a solid week, 80.8 overall grade, according to Pro Football Focus. But Stetson Bennett, as, as I told you guys, the dude balled out in the grade is an indication of that. He graded out with an 87.7 overall grade, almost a 90 grade in, in his passing game. So Stetson Bennett, actually, I know it's one week, it's only one, one small sample size, but graded out higher in week one than Bo Nix did. Now, certainly maybe not the, not the same level of defensive competition, but I think that might give you some insight into where Bo Nix really is right now, outside of the hype. All right. Well, in order to combat the Auburn offense, Dan Lanning is the man that will plan and scheme to keep the Tigers from scoring. What do you think the game plan will be, and how will Lanning and Smart plan and scheme against this up-tempo spread attack? It's a good question. It's a really good question. I think this is the question of the hour because we're going to have to we're going to slow them down offensively. We're going to have to keep this offense from scoring. Because I'm just not sure if we are ready offensively to win a attract me. I just don't know if we're there yet. And with our defense, I think we're in good shape to kind of keep the, the scoring down and keep ourselves within striking distance. But when you play a team that bases out of the spread and does it with tempo, like Chad Morris's offenses generally do, like they're not necessarily married to going with tempo, but when they're humming, they really like to run with some tempo, just like Malazan does. And when you're going against a team like that, you need speed and you need athleticism on the field. You need as much of it on the field as you can possibly manage to get out there. So the question becomes, how do you do this? Well, Kirby Smart, and we had a question about this over the course of the week about, you know, what are we going to do defensively against Auburn to kind of slow down this Chad Morris attack? Are we going to stay with what we do traditionally? Are we going to do something different? 
And I think honestly, it's a little bit of both. And let me explain. I think on standard downs, we are going to run our version of the tight defense, a tight front that we call our mint front. And let me kind of give you some background. This. Now, I've talked about this over the offseason, but I know we have a lot of new listeners, so I'll kind of go through this again. It never hurts to hear it again, right? It's just, it's fun to talk X's and O's here. But, you know, Kirby Smart, when he was still a defense coordinator at Alabama, they had some embarrassing bowl game losses. You know, Oklahoma with Trevor Knight put up some serious points on them. I think it was in a Sugar Bowl. Ohio State in the college football playoff put up some serious points on them and really just made that defense look slow and antiquated, outdated, all of those things. So after some of those losses, Kirby Smart went to work trying to reconfigure his defense, trying to figure out what he needed to do to keep pace with the offensive revolution. And what he realized is that he needed more speed on the field especially against offenses with mobile quarterbacks. So his solution was the mint front, okay? It's a version of the tight front. And I, let me explain what I mean by that, okay? So the, the, the phrase mint, the M stands for matchup. The I stands for inside technique, which is the four eyes. And then you got the nose tackle in there as well. So with the mint front, what, and you think about what you see us do defensively. Think about how our defensive front is aligned, especially on some of these standard downs, these early standard downs. What we are going to have is our defensive tackle, our three-tech defensive tackle, our traditional five-tech defensive end. Those guys are going to be aligned in four eyes. That's the inside shoulder of the tackle. What that means is they are smack dab in the middle of both B-gaps, okay? You have one guy in one B-gap and the other guy in the other B-gap. They're covering the B-gaps. Why is that important? Because, well, what that means now is that leaves three players. You got the nose guard and your two inside linebackers. It leaves those three players to cover two A-gaps. The jack, which is your outside linebacker, is going to have one C-gap, which is outside the tackle, and the star is going to end up having responsibility for that other C-gap. That's why the jack and the star are always opposite each other in our defense, because they, ha- they each have a C-gap, and they can't be on the same side, or one C-gap is going to be wide open, and there's going to be a huge play in the run game. So when you have three players, the nose guard and two inside linebackers, to cover just two A-gaps, what that means is you're going, you're going to have a free runner. You're going to have Roquan Smith running all over the field. You're going to have Monty Rice or N'Kobe Dean running all over the field. So we're able to manufacture that unblocked defender, what I call a free runner, by scheme with this mint front. And, and that's not all the mint front does. There's so much more to it. It allows you, basically what it really does, the, the, the real value here is it allows you to play a three down front more or less. And that allows you to play nickel and get more speed on the field. But still at the same time, when you have all the gaps up front covered, you're able to match size and the inside run game and still get all your athletes on the field to match up against spread offenses who want to attack space. And this has been one of the keys to our defensive resurgence under Kirby Smart. Now it took time to implement and to get the right personnel. In 2016, that was the transition year. It took time to get that right. We had to find the right guys. But we are humming now since 2017. And it really has, guys, at least on standard downs, it has more or less become our base defense. Like very rarely are we in the old school traditional base, which is where you have like the three down line where you really have the nose guard, you have the three tech and a three tech, the five tech and a five tech, and you got your two outside linebackers. We rarely go with two outside linebackers on the field at the same time if we're not in some exotic third down look. This has become our base scheme. And watch for that on Saturday against Auburn. And what it will also allow us to do against a Chad Morris offense is it's going to allow us to kind of mash the interior and force zone runs east and west. Because again, their rushing attack is based out of a zone scheme, and we want to force them east to west. Think about what we did against Arkansas, guys. 
A lot of times when they were trying to just run the ball up the middle and it seemed like there was the great wall of Georgia, that's because we are designing our defense to do that. When you're in the mint front, the B gaps are covered up. You got one of the A gaps covered up by your two gap uh, nose guard. He's two gapping there. And if it's Jordan Davis, he's going to more often than not going to demand a double team. So you might end up having two free runners. So you're forcing them to go east-west where you've got your you've got your help out there, right? So I think that's going to help us against this Chad Morris offense. I think it's going to make it, it always makes it really difficult for their offensive line, especially in a zone-based rushing attack. It makes it difficult for their offensive line to climb to the second level because it's going to force some double teams. And it's also going to really help against RPOs because the inside linebackers don't have B-gap conflict. And I do think we're going to see a fair amount of RPOs. And this mint front is something that's always going to help us with that. It's one of the ways to defend against RPOs. It also allows us to, like, when you only have three down linemen, you can get more creative with your pressures. I think pressuring Bo Nix is going to be really important because when you have four down linemen down with their hand in the dirt, like, the offense knows where those guys are coming from. They're all, with their hand in the dirt, they're coming after you, right? But if you only have three guys down with their, with their hand in the dirt and other guys are standing up, you have more depth in the defense. So you can shoot guys from different areas and it makes it more difficult for the offense to understand and know where those guys are coming from. So you can actually get more pressure even though you're only bringing four because the offense never really knows where that fourth rusher is going to come from. So I fully expect us to utilize that and really not deviate much from that base look. But saying that, I do also expect us to do some different things based on their personnel, namely Bo Nix, right? So first off, here's what I would say. I kind of alluded to this a few minutes ago. We oftentimes try to stick to bringing only four guys. Again, we just try to vary where those four guys are coming from and who's actually coming. We'll, we'll do a lot of simulated pressure looks where we'll mug the A-gaps and some guy, somebody will back out, somebody comes. We do a lot of different things. We'll overload one side of the, of the offensive line and then back those guys out the last second we'll be pressure from the opposite side. We do a lot of different exotic things. But I think in this game, we're going to try to bring more than four more often than we usually do. We're going to try to bring five and six pass rushers more than we typically like to. Now, why do I think we, we're going to do that? I think it's because Bo Nix really struggles as a passer against pressure. Dating back to last year, if you go back to last year in his full season as a starter, when he was under pressure, according to Pro Football Focus, his grade was a 45.8. When he was blitzed last year, he graded out with a 51.8. Now, sure, all quarterbacks' numbers are going to go down when they're under pressure, and most of them will go down when they're blitzed, but some guys really eat the blitz alive. Like Jake Fromm, tradition, was really good against the blitz because he knew where to go once he saw that pressure. He got man coverage, and he knew where to go with it. And then you, what you saw against Kentucky last weekend, now I know it's a small sample size this year, but it was much the same story kind of carrying over from what we saw last year from Bo Nix. When he was under pressure against Kentucky, Bo Nix's grade was 44.4 against Kentucky compared to 86.1 when he was not under pressure. When he was blitzed against Kentucky, his grade was a 44.1 as a passer. When he was not blitzed, he grayed out as an 89.4. So what does that tell me? It's pretty clear, guys. We need to find a way to either pressure Bo Nix with four or blitz the guy because he struggles under those situations. And I think what happens when you watch him closely, that he kind of, I, I, maybe he panics. I don't know if I want to use the word panic. I don't know if that's the right word, but his mechanics go out the window when he is pressured. When he feels the pressure, when he sees the blitz coming, I think in a way he does panic because his mechanics are all over the place in those situations. That's when he's throwing off one foot, he's falling back, leaning back, and just throws a, a ball up for grabs. He's throwing off one foot, leaning to the right. His mechanics just fly out the window. So I think we need to get pressure on him. And so there are different ways to do that. 
Obviously, we can do it with, with just simulated pressures, only bringing four guys. We can also run some some of what we call eyes coverage, which is something I did cover in the offseason. Sometimes people call it hot coverage. And basically what that is, it's where you're bringing five or six guys and you're only having two guys underneath because you want to keep that two deep safety shell look, which Kirby is really, really kind of falling back on because he wants to limit the big plays. He wants to force you to go 10, 11, 12 plays on the field. He doesn't want to give up the big play like we did against Arkansas. Now, but that's, you know, it happened against Arkansas, but but that is certainly the exception of the past couple of years under Kirby Smart Stevens. So we do not want to give up that big play. So how do you do that? Well, you try to keep those two deep safeties as often as you possibly can, or at least have that too high look, that middle of the field open look. So you want to keep two guys deep, but if you're bringing five or six, that means you have fewer guys underneath. So what you do is you want what we call eyes coverage, where the two guys that are staying underneath in coverage, they're reading the quarterback's eyes and they're watching for the hot route. If you have, if you really have a bead on where the quarterback's hot route is, you can just follow his eyes, look for that hot route, and you can make a play on the ball. So I expect to see some of that stuff. I also, if they're going to use Bo Nix in the run game, even if they don't use him in the run game, he's just dangerous scrambling. We saw some of that last year. I do expect us in third down situations to use a fair amount of what Kirby likes to call odd mirror five, which is a, a it's a four-man pressure, but the fourth man will spy. And a lot of times last year, we used Adam Anderson in that role. I think he's a really good player to use in that role. And the way that works is he's he's just spying the quarterback. If the quarterback stays in the pocket, then he'll he'll rush. But especially once the as soon as the quarterback breaks the pocket, he'll hug the quarterback. By hug, that's when he just he takes off on a beeline towards the quarterback to pressure him into making a throw. I think that's something that can be really effective with Nick's because he, he likes to escape the pocket. He's not a great pocket passer right now. He wants to get out of the pocket. And when he breaks that pocket, if we're in odd mirror five, then you send Adam Anderson or you send Kobe Dean or you send Quay Walker at him. And I do think that he will revert back to just the ridiculous mechanics of the situations and potentially throw a ball up for grabs and we can force some turnovers in that regard. So that's something that I, I would expect to see some of that on Saturday. Now saying that, all that is dangerous. When you start to bring more than four guys, there's a reason we don't do it that often because it's dangerous. That's when you become you become much more vulnerable to the big plays. And they've got some good receivers that can hit us down the field. You got Seth Williams, you got Anthony Schwartz, the track star. You're, they're going to get more one-on-one opportunities in those situations. So you're going to really have to trust your cornerbacks in man coverage. And right now, I like I like what I saw from our cornerbacks in week one. I think those guys, even dating back to last year, those guys have kind of shown they can hold up in those situations. So I expect us to tr- come out trying to do that until they burn us. When they burn us, then we'll adjust. But I think getting pressure on Bo Nix right now, that's going to be the priority. All right. Well, now let's talk about the Auburn defense. They lost a ton from last year's unit. A ton. A ton. Thank you for that extra ton. They did. It's a ton. I mean, they lost all their best players pretty much. Yes. So after what you saw against Kentucky, where's the Auburn defense right now early in the season? So And give us the strengths and weaknesses. All right. So... Looking at this Auburn defense, I think pretty clear their strength is that inside linebacker. I think honestly, that's only the only part of their defense that I feel confident in saying, like, yeah, that's a good unit. Their inside linebackers are really good. KJ Britt is a really good player, especially between the tackles. He's a little bit of a liability in coverage and pass rush. I don't think he's a true three down guy. Owen Papo, like, he's kind of the opposite. Like, he's not as good between the tackles. He's not as big as KJ Britt, but he's much more athletic. He moves well in space. He's much better in coverage. He graded out as a 79 in coverage last week against Kentucky, but only 60 in rush defense. That's kind of where Owen Papo is. He's just not a big dude right now, but he excels in space. He's a guy that can chase a play down. And I think as a Kobe McLean, is the guy that kind of gets left out of that equation. I think he's a really good player. He's a very, much more similar to Papo than he is to KJ Britt. But those three guys really complement each other really well. Those guys are good. Those players are really, really good. 
But I have major questions on both the defensive line for this unit and also in the defensive backfield. I think defensive line is a major question. I think that also could end up hurting their, their linebackers because last year, like let's be real, they benefited heavily from having guys like Marlon Davidson and Derek Brown in front of them because those guys just ate up so many blockers and took so much attention off them. They're able to run free. We talked about free runners on Georgia's defense. Well, there are a lot of free runners at linebacker for Auburn last year with what they had up front, but those guys are gone. No Derek Brown, no Marlon Davidson, Big Cat Bryant, who I think is vastly overrated anyway. He's nursing an ankle injury. So there's some issues there. In the defensive backfield, I think that there's also major issues there as well. There's no Noah Igbignogany. That guy is playing for the Miami Dolphins right now. Gone are Thomas and Denson at safety. Those guys were never elite players, but they were veterans who played a ton of football for them and were really solid back there in the back end. Now, Smoke Monday has taken over at one of the safety spots. He played a lot for them last year, but I just don't think he's very good. I just don't think the guy is very good. I've never thought very much of him. He's long. Sure, that helps, but he's slow. He's a step, so he's a long strider. He doesn't move particularly quick. doesn't move great laterally. He only had a 59.8 overall grade last year and over 300 defensive snaps. He's a guy that I think we can certainly take advantage of in the passing game. Christian Tut, I also think is a liability at star. Grade out with a 66.3 overall last year. Roger McCreary, Jalen Simpson at corner, are they're okay. I think in terms of their overall secondary, those are probably their better players. But I think you can make some plays in the slot against their safeties and against Christian Tut as well. So overall, I think... As you, if you ask about their strengths, yeah, inside linebacker is the strength, but I really still think this Auburn defense is looking for answers everywhere else. It's not the same caliber Auburn defense that we saw in 2019. All right, so let's flip it around. I asked you already what worries you the most, but what matchups do you like in this game that may favor the dogs on Saturday? You know, I really love our defensive line versus their offensive line. And I know I keep repeating myself, but it's true. We, we only have a small sample size to work off of, but we're going to have to work off that sample size. So through one game, Auburn's offensive line grayed out 51st nationally in rush offense. Our defensive line grayed out third nationally in rush defense. They are replacing everyone on that offensive line, and they weren't very good last year anyway. And on the flip side, we return just about everyone on our defensive line. Sure, we lose guys like Tyler Clark and Michael Barnett, but we replace them with Jalen Carter, Warren Brinson, guys that I think ultimately are going to end up being more talented than those players. So we return most of our key players up front on the defensive line. They lose about everyone on that offensive line that wasn't very good anyway. And if you go just to the tape and watch them in week one against Kentucky, it was a really uninspiring performance, which was in line with what we saw last year. And on the flip side, when you watch us against Arkansas, our defensive line was dominant in that game. So I think if you look at that matchup, that's certainly one that I think favors us in a pretty big way. All right, we're getting towards the end of the show, so let's do our 3-2-1 for this week. That means three reasons for optimism, two reasons for concern, and one key to the game. So let's start with your three reasons for optimism. All right, yeah, I always love to start with optimism, right? It's best to start there. So for me... The first thing that comes to mind when I'm trying to think about, okay, why do I think we can win this football game? And I'll just stick with what I just told you guys. I love our rush defense versus their rushing offense. They don't have any answers at running back right now. I mentioned earlier, I think Sean Shivers is the guy that I would roll with if I was them. I don't think they feel that way because for whatever reason, they just don't give this guy a ton of touches. I know he's a small dude, 5'7", about 180, but the dude can roll. He can move and he runs 
angry, man. He's the dude that ran right through Xavier McKinney in the Iron Bowl last year for that. I think it was a go-ahead touchdown in that game. I, I just love that guy. I love watching the guy play. I, don't, I hope he doesn't play well against us, but he's a fun guy to watch play. And I just don't think they have any other answers right now. Tank Bigsby, their, their big-time recruit coming out of high school this year, he didn't really show much in terms of him being ready versus Kentucky. DJ Williams is just average overall. That guy, I mean, he's fine. He's okay, but he's just a, he's just a guy. Like, he's not a big-time player. And I just don't think their offensive line can match up with our defensive line right now. So when you match all that together, I, I really love our rush defense against that Auburn rush offense. The second reason here is I, I really also like the fact that there are no proven playmakers on their defensive line. Let's go to the other side of the trenches here. Because I'll be honest with you guys, as we said earlier in the week, we have some offensive line issues right now. I hope we can get them fixed. We'll see. I don't know. But we have some issues. But the fortunate thing in this game is I'm just not sure Auburn is going to be able to exploit that this season like they have in the past. So there's no Derrick Brown to exploit that. There's no Marlon Davidson. There's no Nick Coe to exploit some of our offensive line issues right now. So I think that does kind of help mask one of what might be one of our deficiencies right now. So that is something that kind of gives me a little bit of optimism going into this game. If we were playing Alabama this week, whew, I don't know how optimistic I would be with that matchup. But Auburn, it's a different story right now. And then the third reason for optimism is, you know, honestly, I mentioned how I, I, I'm not buying their secondary right now, especially their safeties in, in Christian Tutt at Star. I really like our receiving weapons. I think that was one of the bright points of our offense last week. I like our receiving weapons against their secondary. Again, particularly those safeties. I think Kieris, I think the tight end position, whether it's, it's Darnell Washington, whether it's Trey McKitty getting back, whether it's Fitzpatrick, I think those guys in the middle of the field can win against safeties. I think they can win against Christian. I think D-Rob, if he, if he works from the slot, can potentially have a big day against Auburn. And look, we need to find a way to get George Pickens involved. We have to find a way to feature this guy. That's something that that we've seen traditionally from Todd Munkin coached offenses. They find their playmakers and they feature them. Well, we know George Pickens is our number one playmaker offensively right now. And we, we got a, he got a touchdown. Yes, Destin found him. He, he made a play and got in the end zone. We only had four catches on the day. I think under 50 yards receiving. He needs more touches. He needs more yards. We need to find a way to feature him because I think he's a guy that can make some big plays against this Auburn secondary. And it would just be great for him to do that because you guys remember he was he was committed to Auburn at one point and they really let him have it last year at Jordan Hare. He didn't have a great game. They only ended up with one catch in that game. So I would love for George to have a, a huge 10 plus catch game, 100 yards plus in this one. All right, next up, give us two reasons we should be concerned. I think the obvious one here is the quarterback position. I felt good about what Stetson did when he came in, as you said, at the outside of the show, Charlie. I think he stabilized our offense, but there's just no clarity right now at the quarterback position. I just don't know what it's going to look like. And at some point, the team needs a guy to rally around. I think that's really important if you're trying to make a championship run. And also, you got to think, like, you know, Kirby talked about how all guys are going to compete at practice this week. And that sounds really good in theory, like if you're in preseason camp. But when you're in game week, I don't know how wise that is. Because, like, how much are these guys splitting reps? Like, somebody needs to be taking the majority of the reps with the ones. Because if not, then nobody is going to be getting ready. So if they're all splitting reps with the ones, like how does that impact things? Like, is anybody actually going to be ready to go in there and compete at a high level against Auburn? Will Stetson be as good against a better defense? I don't think Auburn's defense is as good as they have been in the past couple of years, but I think they're going to be better than what Arkansas's defense was. Will Dwan Mathis be more confident and loose if he gets into the game? Will JT be healthy? Will he be ready to come in and make an impact? These are things that we don't know. So just that lack of clarity at the quarterback position, 
That's something that does concern me going into this game. And then the second thing that concerns me, and we saw this kind of rear its ugly head a little bit last week against Arkansas. I love our secondary. I love Richard LeCount. He's been a great player for us. I love our corners. I, I think we have good players at star. I like Tyree Stevenson. I like Mark Webb. I really like Lewis Seen. But one thing that I, I do think they tend to do at times that can get us in trouble is they're almost overly aggressive. In particular, they get their eyes in the backfield too much. That big touchdown that, that Richard gave up against Arkansas, that was because he got his eyes in the backfield off of some window dressing, which Chad Morris really likes to do. And then the receiver ran right by him. And before he knows it, it's too late. He's beat and it's a touchdown, right? So when you have a Chad Morris offense that uses a lot of motion, a lot of play action, a lot of window dressing, a lot of eye candy, that can certainly be something that catches us. So I really, in some ways, I'm kind of glad that happened against Arkansas because that can be a coaching point that Kirby and Dan Lanning, the rest of the defensive staff can really point to Charlton Warren can point that and say, hey guys, we cannot have that happen this week. You saw what happened last week. So hopefully that gets the attention of our guys and um, that won't come back to bite us in this game. But Chad Morris's offenses traditionally have caught teams with that kind of stuff with all that window dressing with the motion. All right. And one key to the game. All right. I'm going to stick with the quarterback play here. Like to me, I really think this game, because I think we're clearly the more talented team. I know Kirby and Gus kind of had this passive aggressive back and forth of who's the more talented team. It was, it was kind of fun to watch this week, but I, I think it's pretty clear we do have the more talented team here. But quarterback play could be the great equalizer. If their quarterback play is better than ours, that can change a game and it can negate our overall talent advantage. So I think the biggest key to this particular game is simply, can we get competent quarterback play? It doesn't have to be elite. I think we have enough of a talent edge that it doesn't have to be elite quarterback play. We need competent quarterback play. We cannot have quarterback play kill us like it did in the first half. Now, it wasn't all Dwan Mathis's fault. There were some other issues involved, but he did not play well. We cannot have quarterback play kill us like it did at times in the first half on Saturday against Arkansas. So can we simply pose enough of a threat in the passing game to keep them outnumbering us in the box? Can we legitimately pose that run-pass conflict that you need to be able to pose in order to hit big plays against a good SEC defense? That's the key to the game for me. Comic right. quarterback play. Well, normally we would be done. But Wait, not we're not today. done? No. No? I'm going to throw some... We usually end it with 3-2-1. What are you doing to me? We do, but I'm going to throw some over-and-unders at you. Okay. Sounds right. good. So first one, will Georgia's top passer go over or under 200 passing yards in this game? I see what you did there, our top passer, because we don't know... We don't know who that will who be. Who that's going to be, right? So, okay, I like what you did there. Uh, over 200 passing yards in this game for our top passer. I'm going to go over? I mean, Stetson Bennett did it in a half, like two quarters of play against Arkansas. Yeah, that was against Arkansas. I get it. Their defense was terrible last year, and they're probably not going to be great this year. But again, I'm just not a believer in this Auburn secondary yet. I think our wide receivers can win on the outside. I think we can win against the safeties and against Christian Tut in that, in that slot position. So I'm going to say over. I'm not going to sit here and say we're going to throw for three bills plus, but over 200, yeah, I'll take the over. All right. Over, under, two quarterbacks getting snaps for UGA. Two, so over, under, two? Yep. Ooh, okay. All right, I'm I'm going to go under here. I, I do think two is the number. I think we're going to see two quarterbacks. Honestly, I think we'll see Stetson Bennett and maybe Dwan Mathis right now. I just don't know if they're ready to put JT out there. I know he's cleared, but unless it's an emergency, I just don't know if they're going to put him out there yet, and I don't know. But like, I don't think one is likely. I do think we're going to see at least two. But I think one is more likely than seeing three guys. And I think if we see three guys at quarterback, I think that means we're in trouble. That means that 
we had to pull a couple different guys and it wasn't working out or somebody gets hurt. I just, I don't think three is good. That's not going to be a good number for us. So because of that, let's go with the under. I think two's a number, but let's go with the under. I'll take that. All right. Last year, Bo Nix threw for 245 yards against Georgia. So over under 245 yards for him this Saturday. Okay, so last year, yeah, he threw for 245, but he also threw the ball 50 times. His yards per attempt, as was the case for him all year long last year, was not very significant. But yeah, he did throw for almost 250. You know, this year, I'm going to go over, and I think it's a lot for the same reason last year. I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball on us unless Bo Nix just has a, a, an incredible game running the football, and they just do some things we haven't seen yet, which could happen because, again, Kirby doesn't have a great deal of familiarity with, with Chad Morris's offenses. He hasn't gone against him very much, hasn't been matched up very often. But I think they're going to have to throw the ball a lot. If they can't run it, they're going to have to throw the ball. And yeah, as I just mentioned, sometimes we get our eyes caught in the backfield off of all that window dressing, the, the eye candy. And I think they, they might hit a big play or two. I know that we really try to keep that to a minimum, but we saw it happen last week and it could happen again this week. But I, just, I think they're going to have to turn to the pass more than they would like to, just like they did last year. And because of that, I think he might just barely edge the 245. Okay. George Pickens, over under 100 yards receiving. This might be wishful thinking, but I'm going to go over here because, again, we just need to feature this guy. He is our best playmaker. Four catches for 40-some yards is not good enough against an Auburn defense. We are going to have to go out there, feature him, which is what Todd Munkin has done traditionally, find a way to get the ball in George Pickens' hands. He's our best offensive playmaker right now. So wishful thinking, let's go over. All right. Last week, Auburn's wide receiver Seth Williams had 112 receiving yards versus Kentucky, so over under 100 yards for Saturday. Yeah, you know, he, he went for 121 against us last year. He was he was their, their top receiver against us last year. He's the best receiver on this team. He's the total package. He's big, physical, has good speed, not elite speed, but good speed, strong hands. Uh, and he's kind of in that second tier of top receivers in the league. I don't think he's quite nudged himself in the top tier, but he's 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 knocking on the door. I'm going to say under this year, under 100 yards. I think last year, after what he did, we're going to make a point to take him away. And he and Kirby's always big on trying to make teams play left-handed, and a big way to make Auburn play left-handed is to take away their best receiver, take away Seth Williams. So I think we're going to make a point in doing that, force Anthony Schwartz, force Eli Stove to beat us. And if they can, well, sip your cap. But you got to take away Seth Williams. So I'm going to go under on this. All right, last week against you, uh, excuse me, Arkansas, we rushed for 121 yards. So this week, over or under 121 rushing yards? I'm going to go over. I think this is another area of emphasis. Obviously, we did not block very well up front. Our rushing attack was under three yards per carry, which is unacceptable for a Georgia offense. That just cannot happen. So I think that we are going to be ready to attack in Auburn front, that's not as good as I mentioned earlier. Yeah, we have some issues in the offensive line right now. Hopefully, we get those straightened out a little bit this week. But I just don't know if this Auburn defensive front is the front that's going to be able to exploit some of those potential deficiencies. So I'm not going to sit here and say we rush for like 250, but do I think we go over 121 yards? I do. So I'll say I'll take the over here. All right, two more. UGA over under 21 points. I'm going to go over. I, again, as, I, as I've said throughout the show, I just don't think this Auburn defense is the same as it was. I don't know who their major playmakers are. I think Owen Papo can be that guy. K.J. Britt is, is a really good player, but there's no Derek Brown. There's no just like game wrecker for this Auburn defense that you have to game plan around. So I think we're going to score. I, I'll save my points total. I'll save the, the score for the pick show at the end of the week, but uh, I'll say right now that we go over 21. All right, last one. Auburn, over under 14 points. I see what you did there. We scored 21 points last year. They scored 14. All right, I see what you did there. Tricky. Tricky, tricky girl. Um, Over under 14 points. 
What the heck? Let's take the under on this. Um, the Demons knows what they need to get done in this game for us to win. With some of the issues we have offensively, they know that they've got to come to play. And I think that we are going to be able to make Auburn one-dimensional. And one-dimensional teams just usually don't fare very well against Kirby Smart, Dan Landing coach defenses. I just don't know if they're going to have the running game to be two-dimensional. I just don't know if they're going to have... I don't think they are. So if we can keep them one-dimensional then I like our chances to keep them under 14. All right, sounds good. That's, that's it? all I have. Nothing else in, the, in your bag of tricks? Not today. All right, well, that's it, guys. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. And make sure to check back with us later on this week. We will wrap up the week with our Picks of the Week episode. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.